Welcome to the ICGC Calvary Temple Teen Chapel Podcast. You are listening to a special recording from the Sakumono, Bawe, and Wija District 2022 Youth Camp, themed, He Must Increase. Be blessed as you listen to this message by Pastor Inshira Otabel Aluti. I'm trying to behave. I'm trying to behave. You know, it's such an honor to be here. I want to give a huge shout out to our RO, Reverend Dr. Anthony Kujo. If you love him, you want to clap and celebrate our RO. It's such an honor, it's such an honor to be here. Um, when Harry and I wanted to plant a church, ICGC, actually it's not like we wanted to await sense to plant. So when we were sent to plant a branch of ICGC, um, one of the people that we spoke to was Pastor Kujo. And that was because he's just a brilliant mind. He's, he's, just, he's just solid. And we really wanted to share our ideas with him. We had a certain vibe we wanted for Cornerstone and we wanted to know if we were heading in the right path. And Pastor Kujo gave us some great advice. Not only that, he also spoke at our inaugural service, and it was such an honor. I, I, I just feel like the message that he preached gave us the confidence to do what we're doing. And by God's grace, Cornerstones 10-6 in October, God has been good. I also want to give a huge shout out to our DSMs and our ASMs and Uncle Bijou and the coordinators. Thank you so much. For this opportunity, I do not take it for granted. Um, I've been part of many youth camps um, as a participant, but also um, as a coordinator. So I know what it takes to run a youth camp. It, it's, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's, it's, it's not easy to plan a camp um, in preparation for God's people. Regardless of how young or how old they are, there's a huge responsibility. So for everybody that has put in their time to make this program a success, um, we thank God for your life and we celebrate you. And also let's give a round of applause to yourself. You want to celebrate yourself? You got up and you dressed up and you showed up. And you could have been somewhere else. You, you, there was probably a million things you could have done with this time. But she decided to make time for God and come for youth camp. I know for some of you, maybe your parents forced you. But that is fine. Because there's an appointment that God has for you today. And if, if it has to take force to pull you here, then we thank God for what he's doing. The theme for this conference is he must increase. And my topic for today is I must decrease. The theme is he must increase, and I assume that we all know who the he is in reference to. The he, the he is in reference to is, is God, that God should increase. It, it doesn't give us the idea that God in himself grows, but our experience of God in our life must increase. And this statement was made in John 3, verse 30. For those of you who are wondering, I've started preaching. This statement was made in John 3, verse 30. And it was made by John the Baptist in response to his disciples' questions, their concerns, that this man called Jesus is now in town and he's baptizing. But he's not only baptizing, everybody is going to Jesus. So John the Baptist and his disciples, well, his disciples are concerned that John, listen, like you have a competitor now. And his name is Jesus, and, and not only is he baptizing people like you do, but the whole town is literally going to him, and they are worried for John. You know, John has been building his ministry for a while. He didn't just come onto the scene. He's been building it for a while, and now it's gotten to this point, and it seems like there's somebody else that is about to steal his shine. There's somebody else that is about to steal his crowd, the crowd that he has worked hard to gather. Now Jesus is on the scene and is threatening to take that crowd away from him. And 
It's interesting that the disciples come and they are anxious and they are concerned and they are worried for John. But John's response is, he must increase, but I must decrease. And it's such a remarkable statement. Now, if you know anything about John, you know that this statement is huge for him to make. And if you know anything about John the Baptist, you also know that he's an interesting character in the Bible. I know many people that are Christians, many people that have read the word, and if you ask anybody who is your favorite Bible character, I've never heard up to this point someone say John the Baptist. Because there's something about John the Baptist. Let's, let's, let's just get a hint about who he is. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, 1 to 6. And if you are sitting next to someone and they don't have a Bible, you want to be nice to someone this morning. Sharing is caring. You want to be sweet to someone and share your Bible with them. Look up to them. Say, hey, neighbor, I see you are Bibleless. So I want to share my Bible with you. Are we there? Matthew 3, 1 to 6. It says that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all of the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John the Baptist walked around town like it was normal to wear camel's hair. He was strutting his stuff and going about his business wearing camel's hair. And I'm sitting down reading this. I'm like, John, like, really? Like, do you have to be this different? Do you you have to stand out any longer? But the Bible says John didn't just wear camel's hair. By the way, people in town were not just wearing camel's hair. They were wearing actual clothes. But this guy decided that, Charlie, I love God so much that I'm going to be so unique that I'm wearing camel's hair. But he doesn't stop there. The Bible tells us that he has a leather belt around his waist. I'm sure if John was born, maybe around the time I was born, I won't disclose so that you guys would think I'm old. I'm still very, very young, as you can see. Yes, yes, young at heart and in body and in soul and in, yes. And so, John is walking around with a belt, and I'm sure if he was born at the time I was born, we would have called it that he's wearing an abortion belt, is what we used to call it. We used to walk around with a huge belt, and we thought that we're the ish of town, and we were just doing our thing. I'm sure that John would have categorized himself as an abortion belt wearer. But in this time, there's nothing like that. He's just walking around town with a huge leather belt and camel's hair. But John doesn't stop there. It's like, John, how how weird can you be, really? He goes ahead and he eats locusts. Dude, really? Like, there's regular food, but you choose to eat locusts. And you don't stop there. You go a step further to eat wild Honey, other people are eating normal food, but John is like, nah, I'm going to look for locusts and wild honey to eat. This guy was moving on the borderline of weird and a little bit intense. But that was not all there was to John because the scripture tells us that John doesn't miss his words. John actually means what he says and says what he means. In the verse 7, which comes right after the verse we read, John is addressing the religious leaders of his time. And he looks at them in their face, face to face, 
eyeballs to eyeballs and I can imagine him pointing his fingers at them and calling them, you brood of vipers. Now, there's a level of, of, of insults, you know, that I admire. It's the creative one. The one that you can tell that this person has really written notes. Like the person has crafted this thing together so that by the time they land it on you, it's potent. And John coming up with brood of vipers, I read it, I'm like, man, this guy is creative. He is so creative that his cousin Jesus uses those same words later on in his ministry to the Pharisees. That's how creative and potent the rebuke was. John is addressing religious leaders. He looks at them face to face, eyeball to eyeball. He doesn't lower his tone. He doesn't go and hide. He doesn't gossip behind them. He looks at them and calls them, you are a family of snakes. That you are venomous. You are dangerous. And he means what he says. In fact, it's because he means what he says and says what he means and doesn't mix up his words. That is actually the reason why he ended up with a headless body. Because you see, John decided that he was going to talk about the emperor, which was Herod Antipas. And he told Herod, and, he, and, and, and this was in public, he told Herod that, Herod, you've divorced your wife. But you didn't stop at divorcing your wife. You went for your brother's wife and you married your brother's wife which makes her your sister-in-law wife ish complex situation and so John spoke directly to Herod and from that moment Herod's sister wife complicated relationship she had meant him from that time going and it was she that requested that they present John's head on a platter and it was because John meant what he said this guy was intent not only was he moving on the borderline of weird because he ate locusts and dressed in camel skin and wore a huge belt around his waist and ate wild honey and didn't mix up his words but his ministry was large his ministry was huge John had taken time to grow his ministry. The scripture we just read in verse 5 to 6, it tells us that all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and the areas around the Jordan, they all came together and gathered and always moved towards John the Baptist. That gives us an idea that this guy had a huge ministry. This guy's voice was heard everywhere. Where he spoke, people heard it. And he always had a level of influence that was huge. John was not a small boy preacher. John was not an unknown guy who was preaching in the corner somewhere. Where, when he spoke, the world heard. When he stood, others gathered. Everybody gathered. So you can imagine the pressure his disciples felt. When they came to him and they said, Rabbi, by the way, them calling him Rabbi was the only time apart from Jesus, somebody else was called Rabbi in the Gospels. So they ran to him and they said, Rabbi, Jesus is stealing our people. We have built this thing for a while. We have the influence. Our light is shining. Everybody knows our name. Every Sunday after Sunday, we have overflow. People gather to hear you, but now it's being threatened. Your shine is dying and your influence is waning. And John, you must do something. Because everything you've worked for is about to be over. They felt the pressure of what was going on, but John says he must increase but I might decrease. I've spent my whole life building my ministry and gaining popularity and fame, but I must step aside for someone who is greater than me. I, I, I cannot keep drawing people and Jesus drawing people because you can't have two masters and this is what John is saying. 
I cannot pull my crowd and Jesus pull his crowd. Jesus actually says this. He says this in Matthew 3 verse 7. Sorry, Matthew 6 verse 24. He says that no one can serve two masters. This is Jesus speaking. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. So when John is saying he must, that Jesus must increase and he must decrease, he's saying that we can't have two masters operating at the same time. I cannot pull my crowd and Jesus pull his crowd. It gets to a point someone has to step back and allow the one who is hired to take precedence. When Jesus says you can't serve two masters, what he's saying is that you can't be a slave of two masters. You cannot give your all to two masters. You cannot diligently give everything you have in service to two masters. Definitely, one would come before the other. Definitely, you would give one more than you give the other. Definitely, someone will have, you'll be more loyal to one than you are with another. And really, when you think about that, isn't that a Christian struggle? Is that we are constantly in conflict with two masters. It's, it's, it's that when I give my life to Christ, it almost seems like I'm constantly battling the old nature, the sinful nature, who I used to be, what I used to do, the things that I used to do, the places I used to go, it seems like I'm battling them versus my new identity in Christ Jesus. And it's a constant conflict that we face in our lives as believers. The moment you make Jesus Christ the Lord, your Lord and personal Savior, there's this battle that you are in constantly. And it seems like there are two masters that want your attention. And usually for us as believers, we tend to choose the master that we are more comfortable with. Which is the master of the old nature. So we spend time saying, God, I want to be devoted to you. I want to give my all to you. I want to give everything I have to you. But at the same time, we are like, but I still want to hang out with my friends that distract me from you. And you say, God, I want to serve in your house and I want to do all these things. But at the same time, I think if I still go for those parties, it will just help me to be accepted. And you say, God, God, you know what? From this moment on, you are all that I want. I crave your attention. I crave everything. But at the same time, we want acceptance for the world. That is serving two masters. In Revelation, John tells us, that is either you are hot or you are cold. What God detests the most is if you are lukewarm, if you have one foot here and another foot here, the word of God says that he would spit you out of his mouth. And this morning I want to be able to address the other master who is not Jesus. Because when you lean towards the other master, he comes and he brings on board all sorts of things. And today I want to deal with just one thing that we face as believers. And it's one thing that I believe has the potential of killing us before our time. It has the potential of taking you away from the will of God without you even realizing it. And that thing is called fear. Someone say fear. I believe that God is raising up an army of young men and young women. Regardless of the age that you, are, that you are, he's raising up warriors for his kingdom. But the only way you will not step to be a warrior is this thing called fear. Because the world is constantly bombarding us with information. And the world is constantly threatening us. That at this point, you're even shy and afraid to stand for what you believe in. That others are talking, but we remain silent. Others are doing things, but a young Christian is not speaking.
days and we are going to tell fear you better decrease because I want God to increase in me. There's somewhere that God wants to take you. You can be 10 years old, you can be 12 years old, you can be 20 years old, 30 years old. There's somewhere that God wants to take you. There's this character in the Bible that I love so much. And her name is Esther. And I know that, you know, there's something about Esther that is just vibey. Like, I like, I like her vibes. And I think probably it's because I was never a confident person. It's interesting that I'm standing here today. I was, I was never a bold person. So I'm always attracted to people that seem confident and bold. Because I look at them and I'm like, man, I, I want to be this person. I want to have this ability. I want to be able to speak with confidence and power. Let me tell you a little bit about Esther. I know most of you know her as the queen and the woman and the warrior that delivered the Jews from a plot that was schemed and planned to kill and utterly destroy the Jews. But we are introduced to the story of Esther, not with Esther, but with the king, Artaxerxes. And we are told that Artaxerxes is the king of Persia. He is a big deal. He is the world's power. And Xerxes is married to this woman called Vashti. One day, they decide to throw a party, and the men are at one side, and the women are also in their chamber, and they are partying. And Xerxes and his guys get a bit, you know, drunk and unholy in the process. And they summon for Vashti to come and parade herself in front of them. But Vashti is like, you know, she's like a modern-day feminist. She's like, excuse you. Like, who do you take me? Like, don't you know that I am pricey? Look at all of this. And you want me to parade myself in front of you and your other ungodly friends. So Vashti says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to come. And the men get very worried, which usually men do when women gather sometimes. They got very worried and they said, wow, like Vashti, because of what Vashti has done, King, you have to do something. Otherwise, all our wives, like our wives will disrespect us. Our wives, our wives will not see us anymore. We, they will just get up and start speaking. So Xerxes, out of that bad advice, decides that, okay, Vashti, out of the kingdom. So Vashti leaves and now there's a void in the kingdom. Like there's nobody who is coming to warm the bed of the king. This is not a relationship talk, so I would keep it very PG. And so, the king is looking for a new queen. He's, he's looking for someone he can do life with. He is looking for a companion, a friend. He's looking probably also for a trophy wife. Somebody he can also mount to say, this is my queen. Look at her and marvel. So, the only way he thinks about getting a queen is to have a competition, is to have a pageant. But this pageant is for Persian virgins. But for some reason, it's at this point that we are introduced to Esther and her cousin Mordecai. So Mordecai hears that there's this pageant going around and the king is looking for a queen. So Mordecai says, Esther, I want you to go for this pageant. And if Esther is like you and me who we are baby girls and we are dreaming of our wedding and how the man who desires us will come to us and we will be his one and only and how he will approach us will be man like a vibe. And we have dreamt all of this. I'll be his only queen. I'll be his only woman. Like, look at me. I'm a whole prize. And we are feeling ourselves. I'm sure Esther had the same dream. That when, when, when I marry someone, I want the person to actually desire only me. Like, when I marry someone and the person is interested in me, I want them to see that I'm worthy of something. I want them to choose me and me alone. I don't want competition with other people. But now Mordecai is saying, go for a pageant. Like, and he didn't even ask her. So go for a pageant. 
You are not asking me what my dreams are, what my aspirations are. It gives us the idea that Esther's opinion was not valued. So Esther, all of a sudden, is building all these insecurities within her. My opinion doesn't matter. What, what, what I planned for my life, it doesn't matter. I mean, now I have to go and do this pageant. This is not even how I meant to meet the person I want to marry. Everything I desire, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. So insecurities start building up in Esther. But Mordecai doesn't stop there. Mordecai deepens her insecurities by telling her that this pageant is for Persians. It's not for Jews. So when you get there, keep your mouth shut. Now, I don't know about you, but when you enter into a space where you cannot voice yourself, you feel little. You feel like you don't matter. You feel like no one sees you. You feel like you were nobody. So Mordecai is deepening the wounds of Esther's insecurity. She already feels that she's not valued and not respected. But now he's telling her that your opinion also doesn't matter. Keep your mouth shut. So all of a sudden, the insecurities are building. Isn't it amazing that the world does the same thing to us? Keep quiet. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Keep quiet. The Bible you're trying to defend that you say is who you are, it was written, it was written ancient of days. It's not relevant yet. Keep quiet. You have nothing to say. Keep quiet. You are too young. Keep quiet. Don't talk. And it almost seems like Mordecai is directing her and Esther doesn't have a voice. So she finally gets to the palace. Now there's one thing competing with people that are the same level as you. But Esther is not at the same level with her competitors. Because her competitors are Persians. They understand the system. Her competitors have probably been praying that one day the queen would, would default and then they would get an opportunity they have been planning this for their whole lives. Esther is just thrown into it. So she gets there and she's wondering, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't have the language for this space. I don't understand what is going on in this space. Why have I been thrown into the, the darkness? I don't know what I'm doing here. God, help me. Help me get out. It seems like I'm just getting drowned and drowned and drowned. I can't figure out where to go. And that was where she was. She couldn't figure it out. So Esther is there and she has to keep her mouth shut. And now she's seen these women that she probably admires because just put a group of women together. I didn't go to a single sex school. I went to I, 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 I went to a mixed school because I needed a little bit of man energy. Because when women gather, there's something that happens. But even me in my girl's dorm, all of a sudden you start comparing yourselves to other people. Oh, she's probably more prettier. Oh, yeah, she probably has more money. She's probably more skilled and more adventurous. She has more to life than I do. So Esther is in this space and she's comparing herself to all of them. And some of the people that she looks up to, they go to Kinzexis and they come back and they put them in the area of concubine. You know what a concubine is? Go and Google. That's the power of this generation. Google is your best friend. So depicts them. And he says, you be side check. I'll come to you when I want you. If not, just keep quiet and be pretty. So there are people that she looks up to. People that know the system. People that understand the system. People that actually want to be in this position. And she's like, man, these people probably know what is going on. They keep going to the king, but they return and they go into being a concubine. So I'm sure at this point, her insecurities have deepened a bit more. Because she's like, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. It's now Esther's turn. The Bible tells us that others are picking what they want to pick to take to the king. But Esther decides not to pick what she wants to pick. And there's a good side to that. But the other side to that is that because she's been broken. She's been broken to the point where she doesn't have a voice. So she's very insecure. She doesn't 
believe in her choices and in her decisions. So she doesn't know what to take and what not to take. She's been broken to that point. She's indecisive. She doesn't know what to do. So she tells, she speaks, she speaks to Hagar, and Hagar gives her a bunch of things to take. She picks those things and goes to the king. Don't worry, I'm getting there. She gets to the king, but the Bible tells us that God comes into the scene and God favors Esther before people. But he doesn't just favor Esther before people because his favor is upon her. Now the king has favored her. And now she becomes queen. But you have to understand that Esther didn't know why she became queen. She probably just thought, ah, Maybe the king just, you know, feels me. She didn't realize that there was favor working for him. She didn't realize that God had stepped into her situation and orchestrated her path and put her at the right place. That she didn't mean to be at the palace. But once she got into the palace, God started ordering her steps. And she finally becomes queen. So now she's Queen Esther. One day, Queen Esther is going about her queenly duties. And her cousin comes and he's crying at the gate and he's wailing at the gate. And so her servants come, they come to her and they tell her that Esther, your cousin is out there and he's crying. They ask Mordecai, what is going on? And Mordecai goes around and he says that, you know what? The king has signed a verdict that we are all going to die as Jews. And for Mordecai, he just knows one person at the palace. He thought he was just pushing her to do something just because of the sake of it, probably for fame and notoriety. But now he's got into a place and he just has one voice to speak for him and it's his cousin, Queen Esther. Let's open our Bibles to Esther 4. We'll read from verse 10 to verse 11. So Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Esther, help us. You, you, you have to do something about this situation. And it said that she instructed them to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. And then she says, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. And I almost want to scream at Esther and say, Esther, what are you doing? You are queen of Persia. You are a woman of power and influence. You are a powerful woman. You are the queen of the powerful nation on earth. Don't you know your worth? Don't you know your value? Don't you know that people look up to you just because you are queen? Don't you know the power and the influence that you possess? But Esther cannot see it because all these years, insecurity has built up within her that she doesn't even realize that she's at the place where God wants her to be to make impact. And that is the danger of insecurities because insecurities and self-doubts, they breed fear. So now Esther is at the place of her promise. But she cannot even see that she's at the place of her promise because of fear. If you are writing notes, I want you to write this down. Fear has the ability to cause you to disqualify yourself from your calling. It has the ability to cause you to disqualify yourself from your calling. The second part is that even when you don't know it's your calling, you are in the place of your calling, fear can disqualify you before you realize that this was the place of your calling. Esther has been wondering, God, why am I in this place? What am I doing here? And she's about to step into the real reason why she is here, but fear comes up. And she is about to mess it all up. Esther reminds me of myself. When I was much younger, I, I had this deep-rooted insecurity where I would compare myself to other people. 
people will be doing so well in school and I would actually tell my parents, I'm like, mom and dad, don't look at the beginning of the report. Just start from the bottom because if you are, that list will be long if you start from the beginning. Just, I won't be at the bottom room, but like maybe three or four steps above the person. So don't waste your time and be trying to and have hope. No, don't have hope. Just start from the bottom. And it was a deep-rooted insecurity. There were people that could list their gifts and their talents and their abilities and their strengths. And I would sit in my classroom crying because I couldn't come up with one gift. I couldn't come up with one ability that I had. I didn't know I could do anything. I thought I was good for nothing. There were times I would show up at church and cry and cry and say, God, why can't you use me? Why can't you qualify me? Why can't you touch me? Others think I'm brilliant because of who my dad is. But you know my insecurity. You know that deep-rooted in this girl is someone who is fearful. Someone who compares herself with everybody else. I would cry myself to sleep constantly. But I didn't know that it's not like God has not called me. It's that he has put me in my place of calling. That where I was at that moment, God had ordered my steps and I'd gotten there and I was just about to take a step. But in that moment, fear came up. In that moment, fear came up and it made me feel like I was not called or qualified. And for some of you, you've cried to God for so long. God, why can't you use me? God, why can't you touch me? God, it seems like I'm not good at anything. Everybody else seems like they know what they're doing. Everybody else seems like they know where they're going. And it just seems like I just landed here. God, I've cried and cried and prayed and prayed. From camp meeting at a camp meeting. From church meeting at a church meeting. From prayer meeting at a prayer meeting. And I just can't seem to find why. Why won't you touch me? Why won't you heal me? Why won't you use me? I've come so many times, but this morning I'm on an assignment for you to let you know that it's not that God has not called you and it's not that God cannot use you. The way you are standing is your place of calling. What has come in between is fear. Don't let fear disqualify you. Don't let fear come in between you and your place of calling. The devil is a liar. We are a strong and bold generation. That is your portion. So Esther is at her place of calling. But she's about to disqualify herself. But that's not the only thing that fear does. The devil will always remind you of your fear. When you're about to take a step into your calling or destiny. In that moment where God is about to take you to your next level, that's when the enemy shows up. Esther is going around the palace and there's no fear. She's, she's, she's probably gotten used to being in the palace, her routine. She's fine. She's, she's dying. And then Mordecai comes and he's calling her into purpose and he's calling her into destiny and that is the exact moment that fear creeps in. Why didn't fear creep in at the beginning? Why didn't fear prevent her at the beginning? She's about to take her next step and fear shows up. That is the plan of the enemy. It's that maybe if you only spoke to that person in your classroom, that person, God would have used the words he has placed in your mouth to carry that person from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But whenever you decide to stand and speak, you start calculating, hey, the king didn't summon me. And I haven't even gone to the king for the past 30 days. Hey, um, I am a stammerer. I, I cannot speak. The very moment where you're about to move into your next level, it's interesting that when God is talking to Joshua in Joshua 1, it says that Moses had passed away and now God was calling 
um, Joshua to, to lead the people of Israel to the promised land. God says that there are so many people that will come against you. You are going to the land of the Hittites. All of these people will surround you. But God doesn't even talk about the enemies that Joshua will face. The Jebusites and the Hittites and the other sites. This is the one thing he tells Joshua. He says, be bold and be courageous. Put away fear. Put away self-doubt. Because it's not like I've not given you the kingdom. It's not like I've not given you the promised land, but there's something called fear that will show up at the very moment of your big break. This morning, there are some of you that are wondering, God, I just want to step into that place. I, 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 just, I just want you to use me. I, I don't have much in my hands. I don't I don't have lofty words. I don't have, I just want you to use me. But every time you pray that prayer and you're about to take that next step, because it will come in the form of an opportunity, you always back away. But this morning we are going to believe God that every fear will decrease in the name of Jesus. And then, let me quickly do this. Fear shows up when the assignment is huge. Fear shows up when the assignment is huge. Esther was okay with the little task that she was given to do as queen. She was okay with taking care of the palace and doing all of those tasks. But when Mordecai came and called her to her assignment, all of a sudden Esther is afraid. Because fear would always show up because the assignment, the call, the destiny, the purpose is always bigger than where you are now. It always seems so huge compared to what you have. How can this Jewish girl who is lying that she's a Jew and now she's a queen, how can she now defend her people? She looks at her strength and her abilities and she says, God, this mission is too big. This call is too big. I mean, I know I've been praying that you should use me, but now you are showing me a scary picture. Go and ask Moses. God calls Moses. And God tells Moses, I want you to deliver the people out of Egypt. And all of a sudden, fear is bubbling up in Moses' system. And he says that, but I stammer. Where was the stammering before God called you? Because you look at the weight and the gravity of the assignment. And you say, God, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Go and talk to Mary. Mary is minding her own business, planning her wedding. And then one day an angel comes to her and I'm sure Mary is like you and me because she was so young. By the way, Esther, who we are reading about, was 14 years old when she became queen, probably. This girl was a 14-year-old girl. Mary was about 12, 14 thereabouts as well. God comes to Mary through, the, through an angel and he says, Mary, I want to use you. And the angel begins to, be, be, he, he begins to break down what the using is. He says, you're going to borrow a son and you call him Jesus. He's going to be the savior of the world. And Mary's like, okay, like relax. I can do born in a son. But did you say savior of the entire world? All she probably wanted was a child. She just wants to nurse her baby. And move to the next level. But now God is saying that, no, you've been crying for so long. You've, you, you, you've been asking me to use you for so long. I'm going to give you a call that is bigger than you think. I'm going to give you a purpose that is bigger than you think. So the angel delivers it and Mary is like, how can this be? I don't know anybody that is going to help me to make this become a reality. Fear would always creep up. When you are about to step into your next level, when the assignment looks big, the enemy will bring fear to try to make you think that you don't qualify. This morning, God sends me to tell you that you qualify. 
I know you might be young, but you qualify. I know you might think there's nothing to you, but you qualify. There is so much going on on the inside of you. All the years you've been praying and trusting God and crying, you've been sowing seeds, seeds of prayer, seeds of tears. You've been showing up. You've been getting up and dressing up and showing up. And those are seeds that you are planting in the ground. And God is saying, I'm going to give you an assignment. And it might look so huge. But listen to me. Don't listen to your fear. You have to look fear in the face and say, you better decrease. Because the assignment is too big. The assignment is too huge. If God can use somebody at 14, that means that probably when they were 10 years old, they started praying. They started coming to the presence of God and they were asking God to use them. God, touch me. God, anoint me. There are 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds that we all follow on social media and they seem to be doing things all over the place. Why can't that be you? The moment you start disqualifying yourself, I'm too young. The moment you start disqualifying yourself, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have what it takes. That is fear speaking. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. So Mordecai comes back and literally he threatens Esther. And he tells Esther a few things. I want us to quickly read that. That's from verse 13. He says, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, and he says, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any of the Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I don't know which part of Mordecai's threats, or should I call it speech, or should I call it encouragement, triggered Esther to step into her next level. I don't know if it was the fact that Mordecai literally threatened her to say, do you think that you will escape because you are in the palace? Think again. That alone is like enough threats to get you to do something. Or I don't know if it was his warning to her that if you don't do anything, God will send a deliverer. But you and your father's house will perish. That is also enough to say, you know what? Yeah, I got you, Mordi. Like, let's, let's do this thing. Or maybe it was his last punchline statement where he says that, who knows? Tell your neighbor, who knows? If you've been brought to this youth camp, tell your neighbor. If you've been brought to this youth camp for such a time, as this, there's something that Mordecai said that helped Esther to see that at this point I'm serving two masters. At this point I want to be used by God but I'm letting the fear that comes from the enemy dictate what I do. It's at this moment that she, the, the scales fall out of her face and she's able to see that I better make someone decrease. Will I listen to God and obey God or will I let the enemy increase in my life? Who is going to decrease? Is it the voice of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God for my life? Or is it the lies and the schemes and the wiles of the enemy? Who am I going to listen to? And then Esther sends a response. Her response tells us exactly who she's allowing to be her master. She says, go gather all the Jews in Shushan. Fast and pray for me for three days. Me and my servants will do likewise. And at the end of the two days, because I have submitted to God and I've made God my master, I'm going to dash, dash off my shoulders. I'm going to clean up my knees. I'm going to wash my face and I'm going to face the king. And because she has gone to the king of kings and the lord of lords, she says, now fear, you have no hold. And this is the confidence that if I perish, I perish. No more is death and lies going to hold me back. No more is fear going to hold me back. She says, I'm entering into the king's palace and I'm going in confidence and I'm going in power. That 
serve. She says, fear, get thee behind me. And I'm going to let God be my only master. This is something we deal with every single day. Mary is minding her own business. The angel comes and says what he, he says. And all of a sudden she says, yes, I'm afraid because no one has done this ever before. No one in my family has ever had a son who is going to be this prominent, let alone without, you know, doing what it takes to have a baby. No one has done it before. Sometimes God is calling you to do something that you have not seen before. He's, he's calling you to do something that you have not imagined before and it looks so huge. So Mary's like, how in the world will I do this? But she's choosing. She says, I have a choice. Do I let God increase or do I let fear and doubts and my insecurities increase? And the Bible tells us that she says, be it unto me. According to your word, she chooses to lean to God. She chooses that God should increase in her. I know that fear is real. I will never tell you that fear will not show up. It will show up. But when it shows up, you have to have a clear mind to say, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to God or am I going to listen to the voice of fear? The Bible tells us the one she said, be it unto me according to your word that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. We look at Esther and we see that once she chooses to go and pray and, and, and face the king, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. That a woman that thought that she was just brought to the palace to be queen and to be a trophy wife, that once the Spirit of God overshadowed her because she chose God, once he stepped into her situation and overshadowed her, the woman that thought she was insecure now became a warrior. That is the power of if you step into your calling. Mary just wanted to be a pretty lady. But when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, she moved from someone planning a wedding to the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the power of saying fear decrease and God increase. And this morning, that is the prayer we want to come to God with. That God, I know I'm not perfect. I know I am little. I know I seem insignificant. But I need you, God, to increase in my life. Because once you increase, everything else that comes together. You want to stand on your feet this morning. Are you ready to pray? Are you ready to push in prayer? Because God has something for us this morning. Because some of you just think that I was just brought to youth camp. It's just something that I do, but... Like Esther, you are not just here for fashion and for play. Like Esther, there's somewhere that God wants to take you in. This is not an ordinary place. This is holy ground. And at holy ground, you are called into your purpose. But it all starts by saying, God, increase in my life. And let every other name that is not of God decrease in my life. Let every other voice that is not of God decrease in my life. So this morning we are going to come to God in prayer. And you want to begin by asking God, God, if there's anything in my life that doesn't reflect who you are. If there's anything in my life that doesn't reflect your power and your will within me. If there's anything in my life that is contrary to your word. This morning I bring it before you. And I ask that God you increase and all the other names should keep quiet. You want to lift up your voice this morning. And you want to come to your father. You want to pray to your father. And you are asking God, God, I know I seem little. God, I know I seem insignificant. God, I know I seem like there's nothing to me. But I ask, oh, Father, that I may decrease, God. That I may decrease, God. That anything that is not of you, may it bow to the name of Jesus. Lift up your voice, you're a young person. 
lift up your voice. You were a young person and you've come before the mercy seat of God. You've come before the throne room of God. And this morning we are pressing in. You want to press in this morning. You want to push this morning. You are at the bring point to entry into your next level. God has an appointment for you this morning. God has a mandate for you this morning. Regardless of your age, there's an assignment for your life. I don't care where you come from. I don't care your age. I don't care your gender. I don't care your background. My God is not a respecter of persons. He is the one that uses the old. He's the one that uses the young. Oh, you want to lift up your voice because you qualify to be used at this age. You qualify to be used at this age. There's more to your life than you think there is. There's more to your life than you think there is. You want to push in prayer. You want to believe God that he will use you. We bow to your name, God. We choose you, God. We take away fear. We take away anxiety. We take away self-doubt. And Father, we lean into you. We lean into your power. We lean into your will. We lean into your call for our lives. Yes, God. looking for an example of someone who thought they could do nothing, you are looking at her. If, if you are looking for an example of someone that when I, when I was growing up, I had a problem with stammering and I never thought I could ever speak in front of anybody. I never thought I, I had any skills. I never thought I was good for anything. I was always bypassed. Because there was nothing unique and special about me. And I drowned myself in thinking that. Till one day, I came before God and I said, God, you know me. You know that what I have in my hands is little. And I was probably 10 years old and crying to God. And the prayer still continues to today because your girl knows herself. And I said, God, this is all I have. And all I have really is, is me. This is who I am. I don't have any gift to show you. I don't have any ability to show you. This is it. And I said, God, I, I choose to make you my priority. I, I choose to step into your promise for me that the righteous are as bold as a lion. I, 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 I choose to lean into you that you will place your words in my mouth. Like Mary, I choose to allow your Holy Spirit to overshadow me because once I come out of it, I'm going to soar on the wings as eagles. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, God started working on me. And all the opportunities that would scare me, I said, not you this time. I choose to lean on God. I choose to lean into his power. I choose to lean into his will. So it's not impossible. I'm not standing here just preaching to you. I'm preaching to you my story. I'm preaching to you how far God has brought me. It's not by my might. It's not by my power. It's just because I said, God, may you increase. May you increase. May you increase. And I don't know about you. There's more to God. My story can be your story. Your story can be greater. I don't know what God has placed in your heart. But this morning you are leaning in. And you are saying, God, touch me. Use me. May you increase. May I decrease. May you touch me. In the name of Jesus, you want to pray again. I'm leaning to God. You want to lean in. Yes. Lean in, lean in, lean in. There's more, there's more. There's more, there's more. There's more. Just let it come out of you. There's more. There's more that God has for you. The enemy has tried to silence you for so long, but there's more that God has sitting 
on the inside of you. There's more that God is doing on the inside of you. And this morning, you want to lean into that and believe God. You want to lean into that and come to your Father. Father, let there be a stirring, a stirring in our bones, a stirring in our system, a stirring in our spirit for more of you, more of your power, more of your glory. Put purpose inside. 
We hope you were blessed by this message. We encourage you to follow us on our social media pages for more updates. On Twitter and Instagram, we are ICGC Calvary Team. On Facebook, we are ICGC Calvary Temple Teen Chapel. On Telegram, we are ICGC Calvary Temple Teens. And on YouTube, we are Omega Generation TV. You can also fellowship with us every Sunday at 7 a.m. on the last floor of ICGC Calvary Temple's Pintex Hills. Stay blessed.